it's interesting that each one of us has our own story that we're living in. The story of my life, the story of your life, and um, then there's the story of God. And it's interesting that over these past 17 years, God, in his greater story, has allowed each of our individual stories to intersect this morning, and we are here gathered as the body of Christ. And so we rejoice in what he's doing. Today is a day of transition for us in several ways, but we know that we're transitioning from this place here in Locust Grove to a place in Jackson that we believe God and his sovereignty has prepared for us. And if you haven't had an opportunity to go down there and look and see, um, it's absolutely uh, beautiful. It's, uh, it's stunning inside and out, and we're excited about what the Lord has for us. I know that transition is difficult and it's challenging. I know that some are so excited not to have to drive 40 minutes to church every Sunday, but now they're going to be able to drive 20 minutes. And some have been driving 40 minutes now, and they'll be driving 40 minutes to Jackson. And so there's not much change there. But there's just a lot. Some, some are uh, struggling with the transition that we're making from this place to another place. Some may be driving down to um, McDonough. So a, a, lot of, a lot of things are going on here, but let us not lose sight of the fact that we are a part of the, the larger story of God, and our lives have been intersected by his sovereignty, and we sit here this morning because he has drawn us together as his body. I want to take just a second and review sort of where we've been, just a 30,000-foot flyover um, and show you how God and his sovereignty has brought about change that has been inevitable and change is always inevitable. We're constantly changing and change many times and most times is good. The first time we met as a church, we met in a park. Then we left that park and met at my house for a few weeks and then uh, Bobby Jordan found a daycare that somebody wanted to rent to us and so we went to the daycare and we didn't have chairs and Gr Greg Tallman had just... Uh, gotten a, a, a settlement from Ford and Hateful because they moved to Louisville and closed up the Ford plant. And he said, well, I've got some money. Let me buy 100 chairs. And he bought 100 chairs. And we built up the daycare center. And the sound was bouncing off the tile floor up into the 30-foot ceiling. And so somebody bought three, Benton Belt bought three big old pieces of carpet. And we had the side seamed. And we bought puppets. And we had kids' ministry. And Greg and Dixie were filling up that trailer that was a 7 by 14 that weighed about 50,000 pounds and pulling it behind their little Explorer and spun the transmission out of that, I believe. And, and then we left there and we, um, I'm not exactly sure where we went from that point, but, but we eventually ended up in a horse barn, a real live horse barn with horses in it. And we met in the arena for $50, um, um, I think a month or a week. And the Lord blessed us, and as you remember, we had different people coming. DJ Jackson came and was with us for a while. Some of you, if you remember DJ, DJ's with the Lord now. Um, young man, Michael's roommate in college, and a good preacher, and a fabulous, fabulous um, musician. We left the, the horse barn, and we did a Saturday night service over what is now Abundant Life, but at the time it was Eaglesbrook Community Church. And Saturday night didn't go so well, and after Saturday night, we went to Hampton, to a cheerleading gymnasium with a bouncy floor and met for several months there. And then we had an opportunity to move to Strong Rock, and that's where we actually came and landed in Locust Grove. And we were at Strong Rock for a couple of years. And then this opportunity to move upstairs here opened up. And then before long, the opportunity to move downstairs here opened up. And the Lord has just blessed ever since then. And now we believe that the Lord has opened up 
um, an opportunity for us to go to Jackson. You say, how do you justify, how do you measure all of that out? If you get in your car right now and drive to McDonald, you can be there in eight minutes. So we feel like the distance between our two congregations is a healthy distance when we have a congregation in Jackson and we have a congregation in McDonough. And we're constantly looking as the Lord grows us to continue to plant churches. And so today is our last day in this building. So, so get a good look. Um, I don't think we'll have to worry about termites um, uh, anymore. Some of you remember that Sunday that I was up here preaching and some little things started flying around and I started swatting them, but I had a message to finish and before it was over, people were running out the room because the termites came out of this, this beam right up here. I hope the guy that bought the building is not listening to me right now. Amen. He had two days to inspect this place, so, um, so that's on him. But uh, a lot of exciting things like the, um, the river flowing through here on Monday. Um, and and so, so God has been so good and so gracious and so kind. Some of you have been baptized here. I've come to faith here. Your kids have been baptized here. The Word of God has been preached week in and week out here in this place. Every Sunday that you've come to this place, we've said, open your Bibles and put your finger on the text. All we have is the Word of God. We don't have any gimmicks. We're not putting on any costumes. We're not here to entertain you. We are here to open God's Word, and that's going to be the, the, the history of our church and moving forward, that's going to be the future of South Point that we gather around the Word of God. And this morning we're in the book of Galatians. Galatians, um, and I'm just going to be preaching from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. But before we get to Galatians chapter 5 and we look at the fruit of the Spirit, and that's specifically what our uh, series of messages that we're currently starting today is, involves, is the fruit of the Spirit. I just want to give you a, a brief uh, overview. Galatians is addressing a problem. Let me give you three points on the problem that's being addressed. It's very clear that the churches of Galatia have abandoned the gospel of grace. They have abandoned salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and they're saying that there is some effort that you add to it in order to be saved. So the church at Galatia had abandoned the gospel of grace. Secondly, they had embraced legalism. In other words, they had embraced the gospel plus or Christ plus. You add something to what Jesus has done, works plus grace. And Paul addresses that in chapters 3 and 4. And, and then, then Paul is addressing the problem of just this despising of the freedom that is ours in Christ. There are people, literally, that hate the freedom that is ours in Christ. And they're, they're, they've got their binoculars, they've got their microscope, they're, they're scoping over your life, and they're looking from, for some area of inconsistency, and they want to call you out, and they want to zip you and zap you, and they want to make sure that you're following the same rules that they're following God forbid that you be enjoying your freedom in Christ and they're having to follow a bunch of rules. Amen. Thank you. So Paul said, you Galatians, you despise the freedom that is ours in Christ and this fruit of the Spirit that flows out of us is this freedom. This freedom. So what is Paul teaching? Number one, Paul is defending the gospel of grace and freedom. He is defending the gospel of grace and freedom. Secondly, he is denouncing legalism. Thirdly, he is describing the fruitful life of freedom. Galatians 5.22. Let's look at that verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's what I want to deal with this morning in the brief time 
that we have together. Let me just deal with these words individually. The word but is conjunction. It's contrasting what has been spoken before. He's saying, but, or on the other hand, or as opposed to, as opposed to, we can go back to verse 19, as opposed to the work of the flesh. There are two clearly opposing forces that are incompatible. There is this work of the Spirit that he calls fruit, and there is this work of the flesh that is what we are relegated to apart from Christ. The only thing that can come out of me, no matter how righteous I think I am or how well I think I perform, the only thing that can come out of me apart from Jesus Christ and His Spirit working in me are the works of the flesh. And He lays them out for us. Go back to verse 19. What He's fixing to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is opposed to the works of the flesh. Look at these works. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. It's a good place to say amen. The works of the flesh are evident. They're evident in my life. They're evident in your life. Sexual immorality. The Greek word there is pornea, or the root word of the Greek word there is pornea. Where we get our English word pornography. How Fitting that in 2023, the scriptures 2,000 years old would address an issue that is so prevalent even among those who say they know Christ. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, giving weight to things as though they are more important than God. That's what idolatry is. It's saying this, this thing is as important or more important then God is in my life. Sorcery, the word sorcery is the, the Greek word pharmasukos. You know what the Greek word pharmasukos is? It is transliterated literally into the English language and it's called pharmacy. Sorcery, sorcery, magical arts that are rooted in the use of drugs. Think about it. In some way, shape, or form, there are, there are so many things. And if you go to Revelation chapter 9, what you're going to see is the judgment of God has fallen and swaths of humanity have been destroyed because of their sin. And the writer of Revelation said they would not repent of their sexual sin because they thought their sexual sin was, was life. And they would not repent of their sorcery. Same word, pharmaceuticals. They would not repent of their drug use because the, the drug use is doing something to their brain. And I'll talk to you about that here in just a minute. Enmity. Just this division, the power that comes from being divisive. Strife, jealousy comes from the word zealous, this boiling over on the inside. Fits of anger, which many times fits of anger are expressed with a desire to gain control. The reason your kid is rolling around in the floor when he's two years old is not because he needs medication. It's because he probably needs a good tail beating. Forgive me. My last Sunday here, and I'm heading toward retirement. Go ahead and fire me. Um, why are they doing that? Because they want to run your house, right? They want to run your house. And the, the two things kids want. Number one, they want to run your house. And number two, they want to hit something that won't move. Parents, they want to hit something that won't move. Your kids want to know that somebody loves them enough to correct them. And if you just keep, forgive me, 
Okay? I'm about to have a spell up here. Okay? But if you just keep talking to them and talking to them and talking to them and talking to them and talking to them, your kids in their young mind think you are a joke. They want to hit something that won't move. They want to hit something that says, I love you enough to correct you. I love you enough to keep you from destroying yourself. So when they're laying there in that fit of anger, they're laying there, two things that they're crying out for. Number one, does anybody care about me? And number two, if you're going to let me, I'll run this house. I'll, this, I will rule this world right now. So, so we see these things, these things happening here, the rivalries, the dissensions, the divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're trying to say, add works to your salvation. Add works and you'll be saved. He said, no, your works are the work of the flesh, and the flesh will not save you. And if you're dependent upon the flesh, this is all that's coming out of your flesh. No matter what title you put on it, or how much perfume or lipstick you put on it, this is what it is. And the works of the flesh will not save you. They will not save. We will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we've got to understand what he's saying there when he says, but. As opposed to, there's the fruit of the Spirit, there's the work of the flesh. He has delineated out here for us very clearly the work of the flesh. And the work of the flesh brings eternal death. The work of the flesh will never, ever in any way bring life to us. This is all that the work of the flesh is capable of producing. And apart from Christ, every single one of us is living out of the energy and work of the flesh. But the fruit, what does the word fruit mean? The harvest. The word fruit means deed, action, result. But the result of the Spirit, right? The result of the Spirit. We are connected by, by faith in Christ and His finished work to His Spirit. So when we put our faith in Christ, His Spirit comes to live in us. And, and I just want to connect fruit and the work of God in the life of the believer in John chapter 15, verse, verses 1 and 2. Um, I am the true vine... My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. If we are in Christ, we are going to bear fruit. If we are not in Christ, we are not going to bear fruit. And the only reason that we could possibly bear fruit is if we are in Christ. So the bottom line is this. That which is generated, the fruit is that thing which is generated solely by the invading and indwelling Spirit of God in the life of the believer. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. It is not the fruit of Mark Powell. It's not the fruit of Corey Bartlett. 
It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's not you, an amazing person, bearing this amazing fruit because you are so great. It's you, this person who is capable of nothing but the work of the flesh, who has now, by the grace of God, been filled with the power of the Spirit. And now the Spirit is flowing out of you. And the very specific way that we know the Spirit is flowing out of you is because there are these nine words, these nine essences of the fruit of the Spirit that should be evident in the life of the believer. So it is a work of God. It is a work of grace. It is, it is inherent in saving faith. It is one fruit. There are not nine fruits. These are the clear and obvious results of the indwelling presence of God that flows out of the life of every believer. Watch this. Not perfectly, but consistently. Not perfectly. You can ask my wife and she can tell you and she will be honest. There are times that when she looks at me, she sees the work of the flesh and not the fruit of the Spirit. Not perfectly, but consistently. There is going to be this consistent, these nine qualities, these nine essences of the fruit of the Spirit flowing out of me. So, but the fruit, so there's the fruit. The fruit is the result of the Spirit. But the result of the Spirit dwelling in the life of the individual. And I I don't normally talk this fast, but the kids are in here this morning. And I want to talk fast um, because I know y'all like to listen fast. Um, So anyway, but the fruit of the Spirit is, first word, love, agape. It's a love of preference. It's a love of reason. It's not not a, a love of infatuation. It's not a love of feeling, although it's not devoid of feeling. It's not the love of emotion, although it's not devoid of emotion, right? I don't think you can have love. I don't think you have to separate reason and love. I don't think you have to separate separate God setting his love on somebody with God with with this this emotion that is involved with it, this feeling, this sense of love, but it's more than just this feeling of love that comes and goes. It's not a love of infatuation or performance, but it is a love of choice. It is the love of God that flows out of his character and flows out of his essence toward us who are unworthy and undeserving. In other words, it is the love of God that, that flows out of his essence and his character to those of us who are living under and out of the work of the flesh. In fact, let me prove that to you. Um, Romans chapter 5. This is just a beautiful, um, a beautiful word in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. Listen, listen to what God's Word says in Romans 5. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, not by works, not by the works of the flesh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have justification, a gift from God. We have peace with God, which is through our Lord Jesus Christ, a gift from God. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith through Christ, through Christ alone, we have access by faith into His grace in which we stand. We are now standing in His grace and not our works. His grace and not our performance. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. But God's love has been poured out, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This love that he's talking about has been poured out from another source, not a source that's me. I I receive no credit, no glory for this love that is in me. The love that is in me has been poured into me 
into my heart through the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus Christ died for the people of Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But here is this love that he's talking about. Here is this agape love. Here is the love that the Spirit produces. This is the result of the Spirit being in the life of the believer. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is his love. This is his love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by, his, by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, reconciled shall we be saved by his life. He's, 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 he's been raised from the dead. He is alive. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the love of the Father for us. This is God's agape love. This is God's steadfast love. This is God's unconditional love. This is God's unending love. This is God's unbreakable love. And it was demonstrated in Him dying for us. That's the gospel. While we were all, again, verses 19 to 21. He, he justified us. He gave us relational peace with God, the Father. He gave us the throne and place of grace to just stand immovable in and so on and so on from this verse. It's the same love that's described in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. How? He, he gives a clear picture of it. As Christ loved the church. So, so the fruit of the Spirit is, is love. And let us not miss that this morning. And it's put there by the transforming power and grace of God. Now, let me, let me just give you five things um, that come out of this text. And, and uh, I, I'll um, share them. And if you want to write them down, I intentionally didn't give you any outline on the screen this morning. If you don't want to write anything down, you can just listen and pray the Spirit of God will Speak to your heart. Um, first of all, Satan's cheap substitutes are so effective because we think they feel like love. Satan's cheap substitutes are so effective because we think they feel like love. Is pornography effective? You don't have to answer that. Statistics tell us. Is profoundly effective, even for men who sit in church on Sunday morning and women who sit in church on Sunday morning. They would say, chances are, if you're under 30, somebody said, were you looking at porn last night or last week? Chances are, if you're under 30, you were looking at it this morning. Why? Because quite frankly, it feels like love. It just feels like, it feels like love. We could go on and on with that. The point is this, that Satan's cheap substitutes are so effective because we think they feel like love. Here's the thing. We get involved in sin and we think it feels like love. Why is somebody involved in an affair? Because they think it feels like love. Why is somebody involved in adultery? Because they think it feels like love. Why, why would someone want to identify 
with a gender that is the gender other than, than what God created them to be because they think it feels like love. And, and you're, now you've entered into a realm where their heart, their mind, every part of them, their body physically is wrapped up in this, this lie that Satan has told them because they think it feels like love. They think it feels like love. You could read the list, verses 19 to 21, but included in that is ambition, success. Why are we so driven to success? Because we think it feels like love. Well, why do you want to get out on the ball field and, and knock somebody down and hear the crowd cheer? Because those cheers sound like love. But why do you want to go, go in the classroom and do the best you can and do the best you can and make straight A's and be the valedictorian, be the salutedictorian, go, go to college for free? I'm all for that. But what's wrapped up in that success is we hear that applause and our parents' approval and we think it feels like love. We think it feels like love. We think it feels like love. Success feels like love. Winning feels like love. Sex feels like love. Material, materialism feels like love. Uh, uh, idolatry feels like love. Power feels like love. Entertainment. Didn't you just enjoy that? Wasn't that such a great movie? Wasn't that such a great experience? What about the adrenaline rush? Because we think it feels like love. When we were growing up, it was... Sports, that's the only time you really felt like anybody was looking at you. It's when you were performing. It was fast cars that, that just had in, in its own inherent value, and it had to be a V8. Come on. Come on. A car that sounds like a bumblebee is not, is, is just, it's not for me. Born in 1958, I want something that sounds like a tank rumbling from miles away. I want to see the gas needle go down as I'm pressing down on it. Power feels like love. You know, standing up and preaching for 40 years, the attention, the affirmation, not the criticism, but it feels like love. And we can twist that up if we're not careful. You see, Satan offers these substitutes. I think one of the prominent problems that we face is, is gossip. Is gossip. You, 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 know, you know what? When, when you start talking to somebody else about somebody else, and now all of a sudden you have the attention of those people, it feels like love. It feels like love. Right? It feels like love. Satan's substitutes feel like love. The need to be loved is so fundamental to our existence that we are willing to, to, to do whatever we need to do to get it. And you know that. To feel loved, we are willing to do so many crazy things. Trying to do things selling our soul to things that feel like love when they are not will destroy us. They will exhaust, exhaust us. They will leave you empty. Satan's substitutes are cheap and easy, but they never work. They never work. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Satan's cheap substitutes are so effective because we think they feel like love. 
And there is no way that anybody can be pried away from Galatians chapter 5, verses, chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. And I can't talk you out of anything. I can't talk you out of any kind of inappropriate relationship this morning. I'm not trying to guilt you out of that. I'm not trying to shame you out of that. I'm just telling you that what you think you are getting from that is not what you need. It's not what God intended you to have. It is a cheap substitute. And Jesus provides something much better that is the power of the Spirit living and indwelling in you. And it is the power of His love that has been shed abroad in your heart. And that is the thing that satisfies Point number two, love can only flow out of what it has been poured into. Love can only flow out of what it has been poured into. The, 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 the fruit of the spirit of love is supernatural. It is agape love. It is the love of the spirit. It is not self generated. It is not inherent. It does not exist in an unregenerate heart. It can only flow out of what it has been poured into. Listen to me carefully. Please listen carefully. Until I believe and receive his love for me, I will never be able to love. Until I believe and receive his love for me, I will never be able to love. 1 John 4, 19. I love him. Why? Because he first loved me until I believe. We can talk about love until the cows come home. We can talk about love from now until 2030. But until you believe what he has said about his love for you, and until you receive what he did for you in dying for you, and until you see that and you see his countenance, until you see his delight, until you see him inviting you into a throne room of grace and him welcoming you in there, until you believe and receive his love, you can never have the fruit of the spirit of love. It is impossible. Until I believe and receive what he has for me, I will never be able to. To love until I believe that I am who he says I am, until I believe that he has by his will and grace and mercy alone set his love on me and he will never take it away until I believe that. Until I believe that by his will and his grace and his mercy alone he set his love on me, until I see his face of grace forever shining on me. So when I walk into the room, if I see Jesus in the room, and I'm seeing him in my mind. I'm not literally seeing him, okay? But in your mind, you have this idea of Jesus' reaction to you when you come into his presence. And until you see the face of, of Almighty God delighting in you and his face shining upon you based on the finished work of Jesus Christ that I'm believing in and resting in, until I see that, I'm never going to have the fruit of the spirit of love flowing through me. Love can only flow out of what it has been poured into. Until I, I look into his eyes and know that I'm loved, until I look at the cross and see his sacrifice and see his death and know that my sin debt has been paid. I will never understand his love for me. Love can only flow out of what it has been poured into. I will never receive, nor will I ever be able to give love. This fruit is a product. It flows out of his love for me, period. It is not self-generated. I want to read a story. Forgive me. 
Um, it is someone's take on, the, on, on the, the woman who was taken in adultery. And, and I, want you to, I, want you to, I want you to grasp some of the details that he's adding in that were probably there. She was terrified. Dust caked her mouth and the tears that made trails through the dirt on her face couldn't flow fast enough to keep the painful grit out of her eyes. Her knees bled from being dragged through the rough streets as she desperately clung to the torn sheet barely covering her body. She frantically looked for escape, but in every direction there was only the impenetrable wall of hate. She could feel their malice building, their hunger for her blood, the dam holding back their pent-up savagery about to break on her. She knew she deserved to die. She was taught from childhood that what she had just been caught doing was punishable by death, and she loathed who she had become. She remembered how her uncle had taken her innocence when she was only a child and then told her how wicked and filthy she was. He called her vile names, and those insults replayed in her mind in a nonstop cacophony of self-loathing, some part of her long for escape. Perhaps death would finally free her from the years of guilt, shame, insecurity, fear of rejection, and chronic loneliness. Yes, loneliness. Though she had been with more men than anyone she knew, she always felt alone, unloved, worthless. Life was hard. Perhaps it was better that way. Perhaps this was God's will for someone like her, someone who wasn't pure. Perhaps death was all she deserved. Let it come. Why fight it? She sank down in the dirt, waiting for the stones to find her. But the stones never came. One moment, the vulgar taunts of the murderous mob were all she could hear in the next silence. Daring to open her eyes, she saw a pair of sandaled feet. Fearfully looking up, she thought she must be dreaming as she saw the kindest face she had ever seen. And he smiled at her. How could he smile? But he was smiling, and in his smile, she saw peace, compassion, and real concern for her. And then she noticed his eyes. They were intense, and she knew instantly that he saw her. Not the nearly naked body the mob looked upon, nor the, frightening, the frightened girl groveling in guilt and shame. No, he saw her. He saw the little girl, the bruised, battered, betrayed, exploited, misunderstood, vilified little girl hiding behind years of bad choices, broken promises, and self-hatred. He saw the little girl inside longing to be loved, desperate to be whole. He saw her. She held her breath as he asked her where her accusers were. With a voice barely above a whisper, not wanting to shatter the fragile moment, she told him they had gone. And then the unbelievable happened, and her world shook. Her distorted self-image shattered. Her understanding of reality changed. His voice was so compassionate, so tender, like the gentlest music. And she heard him say, Neither do I condemn you. How? How could he not... He knew what she was and what she had done. She knew what the law said, what the teacher said, what the priest said. Everybody agreed she deserved to be condemned, but not this man. He said, no, I don't condemn you. I love you and want you to be whole. Go now and live a better life. Live in harmony with God's design for life and relationship.
The years of pent-up shame burst. The tears began to spill down her cheeks. Not the terrified tears of guilt and fear she had shed just moments before, but tears of joy and relief, tears of love and thanksgiving. She was loved despite any previous action, loved not for what she had done, but loved for who she was, a child of God. Say, how is that biblical? I'll tell you, it's interesting when Jesus saw the rich young ruler. Here's what the word says. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And and when, when we come to grips with the fact that Christ loves us and the price that he paid for us, then love can flow out of us. Love can only flow out of what it has been poured into. Some folks say, well, you need to love yourself. I quite honestly don't agree with that. You need to accept the love that God has for you. That's where freedom in Christ comes from. Thirdly, thirdly, I've got five points. Third, five points, thirdly. Love is always sacrificial. Love is always sacrificial. Love is not this mechanism inside of us that takes. We see it clearly, again, Romans chapter 5. He tells us he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, agape love, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The word love there literally means a self-sacrificing as opposed to a self-serving love. Jesus Christ, who is love, gave his life for the unlovable and the unloving so that they might have life and be loved and love. Did you hear me? Jesus Christ, who is pure love, gave his life for the unlovable so that they might know that they are loved, so that they might have the Spirit of God living in them and that love might flow out of them. Love is always sacrificial. And and let me just be honest with you. uh, Sacrifice is painful and difficult. And, and if you want an easy life, go find another planet somewhere because it's not happening here. And you've been lied to. And that's part of the lies that we find in 19 to 21, that if I can just have some of these things, life will be good. This sin will make life good. Jesus has given you a raw deal. No, Jesus has, has, has not given you a raw deal. And the love that the Spirit puts in your heart and in my heart is not a self-serving love. It is not a taking Love. It is not a, I deserve something from you, love. Fourthly, love is always relational. It is known in our head, it is experienced in our heart, and it is received and expressed through our senses and our countenance and our words and our eyes and our voice and our presence. We need, to, we need more than a text message. We need more than a phone call. Love is always relational, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then fourthly and finally, excuse me, fifthly and finally, love flows out of brokenness. Love flows out of brokenness. The love of Christ flows out of His brokenness, and when the Spirit comes and lives in us, the love of Christ will flow out of our brokenness. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. 
Our brokenness is designed by God to be a distribution point for love. Every one of us, and some have had tragedy upon tragedy happen in their life. Everybody's got a story to tell. I know what's going on in some of your lives. I have no clue as to what's going on in some of your lives. Some of you sit here today and you're angry and twisted up inside. You're bitter inside because some things have happened to you and you're like, hey, I'll tell you what, that shouldn't have happened to me. Nobody should have to go through what I'm going through. Our brokenness is designed by God as a distribution point for love. Our brokenness is not designed for our obsession or our seclusion. Life is not intended, the body of Christ is not intended to be a place where all we do is get together to rehearse how bad we have been hurt or abused. That becomes a self-obsession and we then live in that moment as opposed to us recognizing that God and His sovereignty has at the very least allowed some suffering or pain or abuse to go on in our lives and it is out of that pain and it is out of that injury that we now have such a massive and greater capacity to love. Our brokenness is a distribution, a distribution point for love. It is pain, not for ourself, our sensitivity toward ourself, but it is that pain in our lives that makes us awareness, aware and sensitive to others. So, so, so brokenness is, is not about our shame or our contempt or our self-pity or our power. The world would tell us that we're victims. The world would tell us that we're victims. <laughs> I had a couple of my grand... I've got 12 grandkids, by the way. If you didn't know that, if you know me, you know I've got 12 grandkids. And I'll be 65 in November. And I've been married for 43 years. Any other statistics or data you want from me? And we're riding around a couple of my grandkids, and what, they're joking around, and one of them says, I feel threatened, I feel threatened, I feel threatened, I feel threatened. I, I, I've got two words for you if you feel threatened. Number one... Remove yourself from the threat. Or number two, neutralize the threat. Okay? I'm not going to be a victim. You may whoop me, and you may hurt me, but I'm not going to be a victim. Either remove yourself from the threat or neutralize the threat. If you need help neutralizing the threat, call me. I've got a, 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 spirit, a team of folks here in the church that have the spiritual gift, gift of threat and neutralization. And we will come to your rescue. You say, why do you say that? Because here's what we do. We're like, oh, I'm, I'm broken. I'm broken. You, and, and you're going to sit here and say to me, you don't know what I've been through. And I'm going to stand here and say to you, you don't know what I've been through. You don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. But I'm not living in it. I'm affected by it. But the gospel's bigger than that, okay? So, so I'm not going to go live in that. I'm not going to live in shame, and I'm not going to live in contempt, and I'm not going to live in self-pity, and I'm not going to use victimhood. One of the most powerful forces in the world today is the power of the victim because 
victimhood always justifies whatever length you are willing to go to to destroy your oppressor. Think about it. Victimhood gives me the right to celebrate when somebody who has hurt me gets hurt. That's what victimhood does. It, it, is, it is not glorious or glamorous. Stop living in the role of a victim and enter into a whole new world. A whole new world of understanding why God put this injury in your life, this pain or this brokenness in your life, because that immediately gives you the capacity to connect to and to minister to and to love in ways like you have never been able to love before. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Um, I had the privilege of taking um, my granddaughter, Edith, um, to therapy Thursday. And when I got to her house, I told um, their other grandmother, the lesser grandmother, you know, how, you know how that grandparent thing is. I told her, I said, uh, I'm going to take her to therapy, then I'm going to drive over to Jackson uh, for Rachel's grandfather's funeral, Harsh Stewart, and then I'm going to be at the funeral, and then I'm going to jump back in the car from Jackson. I'm going to drive back to Griffin and pick her up from therapy. As soon as, as, soon as we got to therapy, Edith said, and I'm I'll, just grandfather, I'll use that title. I won't tell you what they call me. No other grandparent in the world gets called what I, got, I get called as grandfather, but that's okay. Grandfather will call it that. She said, he has got to go to a funeral. In other words, I don't know where she picked that up. I don't know how she heard it. I don't know how that eight-year-old cared, cared anything about what was going on in my life, but she was automatically sensitized to what was happening with me. She, she wasn't sensitized to what was happening with her. In fact, on the way to therapy, and she has to get therapy because she has arthrogryposis. She has arthrogryposis. When she was born, she had her right foot was up on her shoulder, and she had the worst case of double club feet the doctor had ever seen. She has legs from the knee down that she'll always have to wear braces on, and she will have no muscular development in her legs down. They did so many casting and surgeries on her legs just to get them to turn around. They said when she was born that she'd never walk. They said that when she was in, in the womb that she'd never live. She, she's had, she, she didn't have a hip joint. They had to go in with, with an eight-hour surgical procedure to dig out in her pelvis a place to take the end of her femur and wire it up in there. She had to spend time in uh, intensive care as a, as a, as a four- or five-year-old. She doesn't have a deltoid muscle, so if you see her raising her hands when she's singing, one arm's down here, and her goal in life is to be able to go across the monkey bars, and she was on the monkey bars, but not by herself. But she felt like she had accomplished so much. Can I tell you something about Edith? On the way to therapy, she read a book that she had written about how thankful she was. I don't know about you, but that made me feel guilty. Because most of the time, all I care about is me. And most of the time, I, dro I drop the microscope down on what's bothering old Mark. 
because I should live in a world where nothing bothers me and everything goes my way. I hope you weren't driving that, that cement truck that was in front of me yesterday. Yes, that was me pulled over in the center lane trying to get your attention in your rearview mirror to let you know that the speed limit was not 40, it was 55. Right? The world just needs to go my way. But, but I got a little girl that I'm taking to two hours of therapy, and, and she didn't tell me that when she was in school that somebody said, what's wrong with Edith's hands? Because her fingers are longer than they should be. And she's got some, a, an extra bone in her left hand, and it's like this. And the teacher said she looked at her hands because she didn't really realize there was anything wrong with them. She can only pick something up like this, not like this. She didn't tell me boo-hoo about the kids who said she walked like a penguin because they had to remove part of her femur so that they could get her leg that was pulled up on her chest into a hip socket. And so now she's got one leg longer than the other, and she walks, and man, does she walk, and she goes. When she came out, she was so proud that she could step down the curb at eight years old. And then I was going to help her in the truck, and she said, no, don't help me. She takes one leg, she puts it up on the bar, she scoots in on the seat on her belly, she flips over on her back, and then she flips over on her bottom. Yet she had the audacity to write a story about all that she was thankful for. You say, what, what do you get out of that? Here's what she also, here's what she also did. We, we went to Chick-fil-A. I drive up to Chick-fil-A, and Courtney's there at Chick-fil-A, and I don't know who Courtney is. I just know that was her name tag, and I like to look at people's name tag, and I like to call them by their name because they love to hear their name and because they're important. And I can't help but pull up through a drive through line or go to a checkout counter and wonder what's going on in somebody's heart. I'm so sorry. I want to go live on a deserted island. And I told Courtney, I said, Courtney, this is my second time through here today. I got breakfast at Chick-fil-A. You Chick-fil-A folks are like, hey, give me some cards. We got home, took her home. I left. Martha's at the Gospel Coalition Conference in Indianapolis. And she texts us and she said, thank you for taking Edith to therapy today. And she was really impressed that you went to Chick-fil-A twice on her account. Now, what, what eight-year-old does that? Except an eight-year-old that's been broken. <laughs> Love flows out of our brokenness. When I, when I went to Warner Robins, Georgia, we'd been there a while, and this elderly lady came in, and she came in with her, her Down syndrome son thing was Charles. And man, I just latched on to Charles. I'd go talk with him. I'd look him in the eye and he just came alive. Never really had a conversation. Charles, I don't know what kind of conversation he could have, but we never had one. But here's what I know about Charles. Number one, he loved serving and he loved me. I don't know that I've ever, I'm sorry, babe. I don't know that I've ever been loved more than Charles loved me. He just loved me. And here's this, and, and you know, here's this Down syndrome guy, and I'm just like, you know, you know what? He's normal. I'm not. He's like, oh, he's mad. Who wants that? No. 
This guy's walking around out of his brokenness and love is flowing through him. Stop hating your brokenness. Stop drowning in your brokenness. Stop making excuses because of your brokenness. Because your brokenness is that place where God has opened up this reservoir where love can be filled and love can flow out of. Love flows out of brokenness. Don't waste your brokenness on yourself. Don't waste your brokenness on yourself. It was put there as a distribution point for love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Maybe you feel alone. There are times I feel alone. Maybe you feel like nobody cares about you. But I want to tell you, Jesus loves you. And we have this juice and we have this bread and they're symbols of his action of love for you and me. And I want you to take a second and I want you to pray. And I want you to walk up here and I want you to grab that bread and I want you to dip it in that juice and I want you to ingest it and I want you to taste it. And I want you to believe that you are loved by God and it was demonstrated through his son and he died for your sin and he rose victorious over sin so that you might have life so that his spirit might fill you so that the fruit of the spirit of love can flow out of your life Father we thank you for your word We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today that feels like the woman taken in adultery, that just feels like all they can do is sin, that feels like all they can do is experience love at the hands of abuse, that feels like life is just about being a thing, an object. I pray that they would see you and your love and that they would run to you and trust you and rest in your finished work. I pray for those folks here today, Lord, that are broken and the brokenness is real and the brokenness is painful. But dear God, I pray that you would help us today to stop wasting our brokenness on ourselves. Father, I pray that this church, as we're here this day and as we move to Jackson, I pray that the fruit of the Spirit of love would just envelop our congregation. And I pray it would spread out of that building that we're remodeling. And it would fill the highways and the hedges and the byways and the restaurants and the homes all around that you might be glorified in Jesus name I pray amen I invite you to come this morning